Good morning, everyone. It is so good to be with you all. Um, I, you know, I always, I always love saying that it is always one of the highest honors and privileges just to be able to stand before you all and deliver the word. Um, one of the things that I say to people or that I say often to Jesse and that I like to say to you guys is that you all are my favorite people to preach to. Like my favorite people to, you know, deliver, preach, the whole thing. Um, because we really are just, just that spiritual family. And I feel like I've just been swept into and adopted into the spiritual family. So I always just get really excited. But to be completely honest and transparent, you guys are not only my favorite, but you guys are the ones that make me the most nervous, actually. <laughs> you like because I, I don't know I don't know if you all it was it was maybe about a year ago when I started coming to the Wednesday night prayer gatherings. I didn't pray at the beginning because I'm like, oh my goodness, like these prayer warriors, you know, like I don't even know. I'm like, you know, and so just that, that just I say that to say just the level of honor and respect that I have for you all. Um, and how deeply I cherish you all's journey with Jesus and uh, how you all truly radiate the love of Christ. And so I, so I, I always get excited, but I always get kind of sweaty, you know. <laughs> it's like <laughs> I always get a little sweaty. I'm like, okay, I got to come prepared today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody's in the front row. It's a splash. You know, if you if you're in the front row, you know it's the preacher splash zone. You know, so people kind of take a step back a little bit. But nonetheless, it is so good to be with you all. Um, just kind of a little bit of a life update. I mean, many of you all know, but I'm teaching at Lansing Christian School. And I feel like I'm already 30 years old, you know, like I've gained five years of my life and I've only been teaching three months, you know, it's like, it's like my ankles hurt, my back hurts, you know, I'm tired, I, you know, I, I, I'm big going to bed at 8.30, you know, it's just like, I mean, that, I don't know, I don't know if that's typical or normal for you all, but in college ministry, you know, you go to bed at one or two o'clock in the morning. And so I remember I was like, okay, I got to get in, back into the rhythm of, you know, going to bed earlier and all that stuff. But nonetheless, the Lord is doing an incredible work, um, particularly at LCS. With I'm teaching freshmen, I'm teaching sophomores, I'm teaching seniors, and I, I praise God even just when they can remember the last thing that I said, you know, in the last class. So it's just like, okay, we're getting somewhere, we're getting somewhere. Um, but nonetheless, the Lord is doing an incredible work in my life and amongst the lives of high schoolers. And I really do believe that we are on the precipice of something great, a great move of God, not only in our city, but in the nation and in the globe. And that we all get a part to play in it. And the part that we play as a spiritual family is we're the intercessors. We're the ones that partner with the Lord to bring the great revival that uh, I believe that he's, um, he's promised to us. And so, uh, and I, I believe that one of the facets of the move of God that's coming, that's right around the corner, is part of what Jesse preached on last week about us enjoying God, is that, that we would begin to understand God's delight in us, and that we would begin to enjoy him. Because the truth of the matter is that God is not boring. <laughs> God is not a boring God, and um, today is we're picking up in this series called First Love, and we're in the book of Song of Solomon. 
Now, for many of us, you know, the Song of Solomon, you know, if you're in the youth groups, you can't mention that without getting a little bit of giggles. You know, it's like, oh, okay, that book, you know, all that stuff. And I'm sure we've all had, like, some, uh, you know, awkward encounters and interactions with the book. I've had some personally. Um, I won't go. I'll spare the details. But um, there's a lot of details in the Song of Solomon. (laughs) And one of the things, though, that the Song of Solomon speaks about is not only the love between a man and a woman and how in love and infatuated they are with one another, but it's also an allegorical picture of how the church and Christ are to be towards one another, that we, as the bride, to be infatuated with his beauty, to be infatuated with his glory, that we would say, and that this is the title of today's message, that Jesus is chief among 10,000, that he is the love of loves, that he is the one thing in our life, in our heart. And the truth of the matter is that the biblical narrative, that's, the, that's probably that's the focal point of the biblical narrative, that God would be number one to us, that, our, that he, would, he would have the number one seat in our heart all the days of our life. That's why we've been saved. That's why we've been redeemed, so that we can enter into the love and fellowship that God has for us, and that we would understand how much he delights in us and how much we can delight in him. And so today we're talking about how Jesus is chief among 10,000, or in other words, how he stands above the rest of the lovers in our life, that we would actually come to a place where we understand how valued we are by him and how valued he, he is by us, that he, we as a church, as a uh, spiritual family, would actually value Jesus um, as he is the chief among 10,000, that he is the loves of loves. He is better, and there is no one that compares to him. There is no one that compares to Jesus. So I'm just going to pray us into it, and we'll get started and just kind of see where we land and where the Lord takes us. Um, I'm, I'm excited for today because this is one of my favorite passages to preach on, um, is the Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 9 through 16. So I'll pray us in, and then we'll, we'll get going. Father, we come before you saying thank you, Lord. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you are enjoyable. And Lord, I'm asking by the power of your spirit that you would help us understand and that you would help us know and that you would help us feel today, Lord, how much you delight in us, how much you cherish us. And Holy Spirit, I'm asking for the grace today that we would begin to enjoy Jesus, Lord, with everything that we are, that we would begin to understand just how beautiful he is. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So today we're picking up in Song of Solomon chapter 5. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, go ahead and turn there. And the we ca- we're kind of jumping from last week to this week because my... Um, uh, my preaching slot was originally scheduled for next week, but I, I'm, I'll be at Trinity next week uh, with my dad um, doing like a little family interview thing. So that's why we're kind of like jumping chapters here. But Song of Solomon is about this story between 
Um, Solomon and this Shulamite woman who they are infatuated with one another. They are uh, so um, compelled by love towards one another. And there's a lot of details and allegory and um, poetry throughout the Song of Solomon. But we get to this point today and we pick up in this story where Solomon or this, the, the king, the one who wrote this book, he is, you know, in this search for this woman, and he's looking for her, and he goes and he knocks on the door, and he's inviting her to come away with him, but yet she misses the invitation. She misses the invitation, and the, so then she begins to go throughout the halls of the city or the, the, the alleyways and the streets looking for her beloved and she can't find him. And then she gets to a point where, you know, the watchmen on the walls, uh, they, they, they beat her up, and she's bruised and beaten, and she's still searching for her beloved, and she uh, encounters these group of women, or she speaks to these group of women, and um, it may be in your Bibles, the Daughters of Jerusalem, or in my Bible, I'm reading from the NET today, the New English Translation, it says the Maidens of Jerusalem. And they ask her, she says, she says if, have you seen my beloved? Have you seen Solomon? I'm looking for him in the streets. And they question her and they ridicule her. They say, why is he so special? And why should we go and look for him? Like, why? what makes, what makes this Solomon guy, what makes your, your beloved so better than anybody else's? And she says, without hesitation, she says, I will tell you everything that's beautiful about him. And my question for us today, as we begin to dive into this, is that when people come up to you and they say, why is Jesus so special to you? Is there a hesitation in your heart to say, well, actually, let me think about that. Or how quick, how quick is that response in your heart to say, let me tell you everything that's special about Jesus. You know, like it's, it's, that, it's that captivation of love. And it's that when people are lost and, um, I, you know, as I'm working with high schoolers and I get to read their work and all these things, a lot of them are wrestling with their faith because it's, I just don't really believe this. You know, I just don't really understand why Jesus is so important. And one of my jobs is to just ask the Holy Spirit to come in and open their eyes to the beauty of Jesus. Because it is beholding him. It is the looking at him. It is the gazing upon him that will, that will change and transform a heart. It is when we actually see the glory and the beauty of Jesus, you cannot leave changed. Like, you, you have to be changed. You have to be changed by looking at Jesus. This is what happened to the Apostle Paul. It's the thing that David wanted. It's the thing that Mary of Bethany wanted. It's this one thing. He stands above the rest, and there's no one that compares to Jesus. And that's the message today, is that nobody, no one is more beautiful, is more glorious, is more splendorous than the man, Christ Jesus, the very Son of God. And so it's just, we're just exalting Jesus today. So I'm just going to read um, uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 5, and I'm going to go all the way up to verse 7, and then we'll hit verse 8 a little bit, and then, and then kind of dive into uh, verses 9 through 16. So this is what it says in Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. 
Um, and I'm reading again from the NET, and so it may sound a little bit different. This is what it says, Song of Solomon 5, chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. It says, I have entered my garden, O my sister, my bride. I have gathered my myrrh with my balsam spice. I have eaten my honeycomb and my honey. I have drunk my wine and my milk. Eat, friends, and drink. Drink freely, O lovers. I was asleep, but my mind was dreaming. Listen, my lover is knocking at the door. Open for me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. My head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. I have already taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I have already washed my feet. Must I soil them again? My lover thrust his hand through the hole, and my feelings were stirred for him. I arose to open for my beloved. My hands dripped with myrrh. My fingers flowed with myrrh on the handles of the lock. I opened for my beloved, but my lover had already turned and gone away. I fell into despair when he departed. I looked for him, but did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer. The watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city. They beat me. They bruised me. They took away my cloak, those watchmen on the walls. And so what we have here in the Song of Solomon and I'm picking up, if you guys have the notes, in Roman numeral 1, verse, uh, <laughs> not verse, but Roman numeral 1, paragraph A, is our love for Jesus. And like I said, this is allegorical to um, the church and Christ. So the Shulamite, she, the, the, he, her and Solomon, they are so captivated in love. And Solomon comes, you know, in the nighttime. And he knocks on the door and he says, come away with me. I'm, I'm here to gather you and I'm here to uh, bring you towards me. And what ends up happening is that she's like, you know, I'm already in bed. I don't want to get up all that much. And so he already turns away. and She goes to the door. She opens and she doesn't see him. And so then now she's out in the streets and she's looking for her beloved. And what ends up happening is that she ends up going through these this rough trials where she can't find her beloved. These uh, watchmen have beat her and bruised her and she is completely lost and she doesn't know where she's going in the midst of this. But we see here that the Shulamite had the fire of love in her heart for Solomon, even in the midst of her trials. Because everything, everything up to this point has been, you know, your shade and your apples and, you know, all these other fruits and trees and pomegranates or whatever, you know, stuff like that. But in this moment, she's enduring great trials and pressure and stress and all of these things. And, you know, you could imagine that as she's going throughout the streets, she can't find her beloved. She's getting beat up and bruised, ridiculed, and all of these things. You would imagine that her spirit might have just been like, ah, okay, I, I'm giving up. I can't find him, and I'm just going back home. But yet she continues the, the, the chase and the pursuit of her beloved because there is this undying fire of love within her heart. And I think to bring this kind of closer to home for us 
is that a lot of us go through trials and a lot of us go through struggles in which our faith in Jesus, our relationship with him is, we seem like we can't find him. Jim preached about this the other week. It's like, what do you do? What is your emotional reaction when you go through the trials and the pressures and the stress of life and it seems like you can't find Jesus? Like what happens on the inside of you when you feel like I'm lost, I can't find my beloved, I can't, um, I don't know exactly where I'm going, I feel beat up, I feel bruised, and I feel like I can't find Jesus. Where are your emotions at? Where is the flame and the fire of your love? Is it is, is your love for Jesus based upon your out, outward circumstances or is your love for Jesus based upon he's beautiful and my heart is completely given over to him? Because I think that sometimes it's easy to live like that, that our, G, our love for Jesus fluctuates on how good our circumstances are. But the truth of the matter is that love for Jesus doesn't fluctuate with, you know, the ups and downs of life. But the Holy Spirit gives us grace to love Jesus in the midst of our trials. The Holy Spirit gives us grace to love God even when we can't find him. Even when it seems like he's missing, he's gone, and I might have I missed the train, you know, of him coming by. But we have to remain uh, dependent upon the Holy Spirit to strengthen our love for God. And the way that we actually begin to love God with all of our heart is by understanding his love for us. Uh, this is so glorious. This is so glorious. I want to bring you all to a passage. If you want to turn to John chapter uh, 15. Turn to John chapter 15 in the scriptures. The way that we begin to cultivate a love for God is understanding his love for us. I want to just connect just three verses for you all that hit me like, you know, a baseball bat a few months ago. It was amazing. So this is what Jesus says to his disciples in John chapter 15, verse 9. He says this, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. <laughs> he says, just as, just as the Father has loved Jesus, Jesus is saying, I have also loved you. Now, this is a, a question that I want you all to respond back to me with, is how much does the Father love Jesus? A lot. <laughs> the Father loves Jesus a lot. And so Jesus is saying with the same zeal and affection and depth of emotion that the Father loves Jesus with, Jesus is saying, I love you with that same amount of emotion and zeal and passion. Now, that's glorious. Now, flip over maybe just one more page to John 17, 23, because this is where it gets really good. This is where it gets really, really good. John 17, verse 23. John 17, verse 23. This is what uh, Jesus says. He's praying to the Father. He says, I in them and you in me, 
speaking to the Father, that they may be completely one so that the world will know that you sent me, and here it is, and you have loved them just as you have loved me. So Jesus is saying, not only does he have the same passion and zeal and emotion towards us that the Father has towards him, but the Father himself loves us us with the same zeal and passion and strength that he loves Jesus with. And so the love that they have for one another, the love that the Father directs towards Jesus, Jesus directs towards us. And the love that the Father has for Jesus, the Father directs that towards us. It's mind-boggling how we are loved by God. (laughs) Now, how does that love become a reality in our life? Turn to John, or not John, but Romans chapter 5. How does the love of God become a reality in our life? And I think we find an answer here in Romans chapter 5, verse 5. This is, a, this is so good. <laughs> it says this in, in Romans chapter 5, verse 5. It says, and hope does not disappoint Because the love of God, the love that God the Father has for Jesus, and the love that Jesus has for the Father, says that the love of God has been poured in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Is that the way that the love of God becomes a reality in our life and in our hearts is by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit into our hearts. That the Holy Spirit makes the love of God real to us or more uh, palatable where we say, oh, I actually begin to understand how enjoyed I am by God. And that's the point here in Song of Solomon. And I just have a few questions when we're talking about our love for Jesus. Is that, uh, you know, the way that we begin to love God, even in the midst of trials, is when we understand how much he loves us. And so my question to you all today is, do you love Jesus in the midst of your trials? Do you love Jesus in the midst of your trials, whether it's dealing with health or whether it's warfare, spiritual warfare or in the midst of relationships with people, friendships, the whole thing? In the midst of your trials, in the midst of your testings, in the midst of the difficult places in life, do you still cling to Jesus? Do you still love him with this flame of love that's uh, on the inside of you? Another question is, do you love Jesus in the midst of rigorous questioning? And that's where we get uh, in the Song of Solomon uh, uh, verse... uh, chapter 5, verse 8, where the Shulamite woman, she's going to the maidens of Jerusalem. She finds them, and she says, she's saying, uh, do you know where my beloved is? This is where we're picking up in verse 8. I admonish you, O maidens of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, what will you tell him? Tell him that I am lovesick. Tell him that I'm faint with love. And then they say, they respond to her in verse 9, why is your beloved better than others? Oh, most beautiful of women. Why is your beloved better than others that you would admonish us in this manner? 
And so they're questioning her. They're, 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 they're coming at her and they're saying, what makes him so special? And so in the midst of trials, in the midst of questionings, in the midst of the seemingly I cannot find Jesus, do you still love him? Do you still have an affection for him? And do you still have uh, this leaning upon him even when it feels like you can't find him? Even in the midst of um, difficulty and trials and seasons and times of testings. But it takes God to love God, even in the hard times. It takes God to love God. <laughs> and uh, that's a glorious reality that the Holy Spirit gladly helps us with. <laughs> the Holy Spirit gladly helps us to love Jesus, even in the midst of the difficult times and trials in our life. But one of the things, and before we dive, before I just kind of quickly scan the the reason she gives for why her beloved is the most uh, beautiful among men um, is that our love for Jesus ought to produce a longing search and priority for his presence. You know, like, you know, like those early days when you just like, you know, you have a um, you know, maybe in high school you have a crush, you know, on somebody and, you know, you, you just kind of, you change your hallway routine so you can just be around that person. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's like, you know, or you're like on the, you know, MSU campus or whatever. It's like, well, I know this person has a class right here, so I'm just going to conveniently change my, you know, my walking schedule just so I can be next to them and be by them. I'm sure we all, you know, have felt that before at some time at some point. And I think it's kind of the same thing when we relate to Jesus, is that when we have this love for him, when we have this flame that's brewing on the inside of us, that, um, that our love for him ought to produce a priority for his presence. And so my question to us today is that as a people that love Jesus, is our community marked by his presence? Is our community, is our life marked by, <clears throat> by a value for him, for his presence? Because sometimes it's just, uh, you know, it, sometimes it stays in theory, you know, just the presence of God and, oh, yeah, you know, we're here. But, like, let's actually, like, really think about that for a moment. Like, do we actually prioritize the presence of Jesus? Because he is a real person. And I, I, like to say, I like to say it like this, is that Jesus is a, uh, you know, God, God is a real person with a real presence and a real personality. And that means that, and, and the, the cool part about Jesus is that he will attend any and every meeting he's invited to, <laughs> is that all you have to do is just ask and he comes. And it's about this valuing of his presence. It's about this valuing of Jesus. You're, I'm not just talking to the air, but you're really here. Like, do we have a conscious awareness of his presence? Because if we really do love him, it produces a longing and a priority and a desire for him, his presence. And that's what he says, actually, in John 14, 23. He says, he says this in John 14, 23. Um, well, actually, I'll, I'll begin in 22. It says, Lord, 
Judas, not Lord, Judas, not Iscariot, said, what has happened that you are going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my word and my father will love him and, and, uh, and we will come to him and take up residence with him. So there's this beautiful passage where Jesus is saying, your love for me and your ought, ought, ought to result in an obedience to my word, but ultimately the result is my presence will be made manifest among you. And that's the beauty of following Jesus. That's the beauty of loving Jesus is that when we become a people that actually has a heart in loving Jesus, that his presence is made manifest among us. And we begin to um, see amazing things happen in our midst. And that's what, and that's what I desire uh, out, of, out of anything in life. I, I've, I've realized, you know, with teaching, I get really tired and I'm really weary. And, you know, like when you get tired and weary, what you really want, actually like, it's just like, oh, this is just what I want. You know, I'm just like, I don't have time for the fluff. I don't have time for, you know, just to play games. I'm just, I'm just tired and this is what I want. And what I begin to realize, what I begin to realize, I'm just like, Lord, I just want you. Like, <laughs> that's it. That's it. Like, it's just like, it's just like, Lord, I'm tired of just the games. I'm tired of just, you know, the, like, I don't want just, I don't want to just, you know, whisk away what I'm feeling with entertainment or like YouTube or social media or all these. I'm just like, Lord, I just want you. That's it. That's it. And I'm like, I just, just tell me what I need to do because I just want to be with you. I just want your presence. I just want you. And I think that's what the Lord values is that is our heart of love for him results in a value for his presence. Like that's, 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 what, that's what it is. That's what happens. That's just the natural thing in life. And so as we desire Jesus and his presence, um, the, and our, our desire for him increases as we begin to see him more. Because I'm reading um, some books about, you know, orthodox teaching and stuff like that. And there's this guy named um, uh, Marcion who's a heretic in the church, actually. And, but he had this dichotomy, um, a, 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 a grave dichotomy, where he pitted against the, the, Old, the Old Testament God with the New Testament Jesus. And saying that those two are, are, are different and he, you know, made his own Bible and his own scripture and things of that sort. But the problem with it, and I, as I was reading about this heretic in the church, I'm like, all he needs to do is just read the Bible from cover to cover. I'm like, he just needs to do a Bible mania or something. Like he, just, like, he just needs to read scripture because you'll see that as you just continue to understand who God is, he is the most delightful. He is the most enjoyable. He is the most happy. He is the most glorious person you could ever encounter. Like, he is the most glorious one, and it just takes vision. It just takes seeing him for who he is. And the Shulamite woman, when she was pressed, and when she was tried, and when she was questioned, she, uh, she responded without hesitation, let me tell you why my beloved is special and chief among 10,000. Let me tell you why he is so glorious. It's because she saw him. 
She had seen him. She actually, uh, the the reason she could uh, say these 10 things about her beloved without hesitation is because she just took time to look at him. You know, like if somebody asked me, you know, like describe your mom for me, you know, like or what, I'm like, I could probably say like, oh yeah, she has curly hair, you know, and I could probably give you a pretty detailed description. It's because I, I've seen her. I've looked at her face for a really long time. And the Shulamite woman could say, you know, this is why my beloved is so special to me. It's simply because I've set my eyes on him and my gaze is fixated on Solomon. You know, she's like, and so this is where we're picking up in verse 9 here. And I'm just going to run through these, just read this really quickly, and then we're about to wrap here. They, they question her, the maidens of Jerusalem. They question her. They say, why is your beloved better than others? O most beautiful among women, why is your beloved better than others that you would admonish us in this manner? She says, let me tell you. Let me tell you without hesitation. My beloved is dazzling and ruddy. He stands out in comparison to all the other men. His head is like the purest gold. His hair is curly, black like a raven. His eyes are like doves by streams of water, washed in milk, mounted like jewels. His cheeks are like garden beds full of balsam trees yielding perfume. His lips are like lilies dripping with drops of myrrh. His arms are like rods of gold set with chrysolite. His abdomen is like polished ivory inlaid with sapphires. His legs are like pillars of marble set on bases of pure gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as its cedars. His mouth is very sweet. He is totally desirable. This is my beloved. This is my companion, O maidens of Jerusalem. If you don't get moved by that, I don't know what will move you because she is saying he to me is chief among 10,000. Nobody compares to him. He is my beloved. He is the one I'm infatuated with. He's the one I'm fascinated with. He's the one that I want. He's the one that I desire. And the truth today, the question today is, can you say that about Jesus? Can you say that about Jesus? Oh, that moves me so much. It makes me want to cry because she says, he is special to me. Like he, he, like I don't care how, you know, how beautiful, you know, your, your husbands are, your boyfriends are. She's like, he's special to me. He's special to me. And this is, he's captured my heart. And, and I mean, that's what I want. That's what David had. That's what Mary of Bethany had. That's what Moses had. There's these people in scripture that said, I am captivated by the beauty of this God. And this is what I want. This is what I want. This is what I desire. And and that's what we see with the Shulamite woman here. She says, she's seen him. She's seen him. She, She set her gaze upon him. And she says, he is special to me. He is special to me. And so my questions today are, you know, have you seen the beauty of Jesus? Have you been captivated by the glory and the worth of Christ? Because Jesus' beauty demands beholding. That's the truth of the matter. His glory demands that you stop and stare at him. You don't have to do anything, you know. (laughs) All you got to do is just look at him. All you got to do is just look at him. 
because his beauty and his glory forces us to stop. You know, when, <laughs> when one person is, can light up a whole city by the glory that's emanating off of his body, you got to just kind of stop and stare for a moment, you know? <laughs> it's just like say, whoa, <laughs> like let me just look at this guy for a second. And that's the, that's the heart of the Shulamite. That's the heart of David. That's the heart of Mary of Bethany. And, you know, what matters is meditation and revelation in the beauty of God in the face of Christ Jesus. And, you know, the descriptions that this Shulamite woman runs through, you know, she runs through 10 specific descriptions of why her beloved is special to her. And um, one of the ones, or one of the ones that stuck out to me was when she describes his head. And this is on the back, too. So we won't, we won't get through all of these. But um, this is also, you know, Mike Bickle, he's done a really large study on the Song of Solomon, very influential. And so I'm taking some of these and just kind of modified them a little bit. But most of this stuff is directly from his teachings. But when she talks about his head, she says, his head is like the purest of gold. This description of Jesus' head being purest of gold, it symbolizes his sovereign leadership over creation. Is that you can actually, that, that when it says, the, the literal translation, it's, it's gold of gold. It's the purest of gold. And so when it's talking about Christ and his head, that his head, that his head is like the purest of gold. It's talking about his sovereign leadership. Saying that you can take his leadership to the bank. Like, like he, he is a good leader. He is a good shepherd. And he will not let you go astray. That he is his rod and his staff, they comfort us. He leads us beside streams and, you know, green pastures and all of those things that you can trust the leadership of Jesus. Even when, even when you don't feel his presence all the time, even when you, it seems like you can't find him, you can trust him. You can trust him. You can trust his leadership. His head is like the purest of gold. Another description that I love is talking about his eyes. And that's one of the things that I want. I'm just like, man, I want kind eyes just like, just like Jesus. And talking about that his eyes are like doves by streams of water. And this description of Jesus' eyes as doves symbolizes, one, his ability to see all. Is that he sees every corner of our life. He sees everything. And that we, when we stand before him, we won't be able to manipulate him, you know, because he sees everything. It's not like we can hide any part of our life for, from him. And so it's like, okay, you know, just living a life that's honoring and pleasing and um, honoring and pleasing to him. But it talks about his loyalty to those he loves, because what a dove does, they can only look, you know, they, they have a limited perception like they they don't they can look at like one thing at it and you know they look at the out the sides and stuff like that you know and so when it's talking about um his eyes it's talking about that he sees everything but that his his gaze it says in revelation one that his eyes are like a flame of fire and that his gaze set upon us purifies us it's our gaze our gaze set on him changes us and transforms us from one degree of glory to another, but his gaze upon us refines the impurities in our heart. And it's about, our, it's about making eye contact with Jesus, and that's where a lot of transformation happens. And then lastly, I'll just touch this, when it talks about his cheeks and his body or his, or his abdomen, it's talking about his deep emotions. 
is that, you know, it's, sometimes it's a paradigm shift to think of God having emotions. And one of the things that I was moved with this past summer is that I took time. You know, Mike Bigel has that challenge, you know, go through the Bible and, you know, read and mark down all of God's emotions and stuff like that. I was moved by how deeply God feels and that he actually feels. And we see that in Jesus, that Jesus would weep. He would rejoice. He was in pain and in sorrow. And it's amiss if we think that God does not have emotions and that he doesn't feel deeply. And so to understand that we are worshiping a God whose leadership is not only perfect, you know, whose eyes purify us, but that he feels along with us. And so the application point for today is just one thing, just one thing is taking time simply to behold Jesus, taking time to simply read about him in scripture, asking the Holy Spirit for greater revelation as we meditate in the word. This is what I want, and I hope that this is what you want. I want to be a young man. I want to be a man who is completely and utterly captivated by the beauty of Jesus, that when you look at my face and when you look into my eyes, you would see someone who was completely in love like this Shulamite woman. I want to be able to say, if somebody were to say, Marvin, what makes Jesus special to you? I want to be able to say, let me tell you about him. Let me tell you why he's special to me. And that's my question to you all, is why is Jesus special to you? What makes him chief among 10,000 or outstanding among the rest of anything else in this world? What makes him chief among 10,000 to you? Not just, to, not just what, script, you know, like what scripture says, he's you know, the creator of all. What makes him special to you? What makes him chief among 10,000 to you? And that's what we have to leave with, and that's what we have to talk about. And I want to challenge you all to set time aside this week just to simply meditate on the beauty of Jesus and who he is revealed to be, not only in the Song of Solomon, but all throughout Scripture. Amen? Amen. Uh, Justin, I, you want to come on up? And we're, I'm just going to invite you all to stand. I'm going to invite you all to stand. And we didn't even get through, you know, all the notes, and that's okay. You can take them and do whatever you want with them. Um, but I'm just, you know, I'm just letting my heart bleed a little bit this morning because I just, I'm like, man, this is what I want. This is, this is what I want in life. And I'm not satisfied until I get it, <laughs> until I get more and more and more uh, understanding and revelation and knowledge in the beauty of Christ Jesus. That's what I'm captivated with. And that's what I hope we are, capt- what, we're, what we are captivated with as a uh, church family, as a community. So we just go before the Lord and just say, thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, that your beauty and your glory radiates in the face of your son, Christ Jesus. Thank you that we can, by the Holy Spirit, see him, look at him, behold him as we meditate in Scripture. So, God, I'm asking in the name of Jesus that you would give us a new revelation, just a, uh, that we would begin to see Jesus maybe in a way that we haven't seen him before, and that we would begin to understand and see why he is chief among 10,000.
And would you begin to reveal why he's chief among 10,000 to us? Because if he's not chief among 10,000 to us, how can he be chief among 10,000 to anyone else? So, Lord, I'm asking that you would give us greater revelation in the beauty of Jesus, that we would see him for who he is in all of his beauty and all of his glory. Open the eyes of my heart, 